Compliance, the final frontier. Tom Fox is the voyager of trekking through compliance. His mission? To explore the original series and seek out and share what it can teach you about compliance. Here's your host, Tom Fox. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm going to be doing several follow-on podcast special series based upon my summer series of Trekking Through Compliance. Today we start a five-part podcast series on some of the science around Star Trek. In this exploration, I'm joined by my good friend Ben Lockwin. Ben is a healthcare futurist, and he's also an astrophysicist, so he's uniquely situated to talk about the science of Star Trek. We had a lot of fun producing this series, and I hope you will enjoy it, listening to it as much as Ben and I did bringing it to you. In this episode one, we take a look at the episode Mirror, Mirror, and use it to discuss transporters. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. And as you know, I have been doing a summer series, Trekking Through Compliance, where I've been looking at uh, Star Trek, the original series, the 79 episodes, and mining them for lessons around compliance and leadership. Well, for the next five podcasts, we're going to take things in quite a bit different direction, as I have with me Ben Lockwin, and we are going to um, explore some scientific issues. So we're going to take a look at the stories of some of the episodes from the original series, and then Ben is going to uh, consider whether or not the science is valid, the science is real, or whether the science could be valid or real. And where this goes, frankly, nobody knows. So Ben, with that incredibly long-winded uh, introduction, I've been looking forward to doing this for a long time, so welcome. Thanks, Tom. The pleasure is all mine. So Ben, we are going to start with um, our first uh, episode today, and we're going to use the episode Mirror, Mirror to ask some questions about uh, transporters, artificial gravity, quantum super, uh, superpositions, tunneling and particle properties. So I'm going to give you the basic storyline or story synopsis, and then I'm going to ask okay. you um, to talk about some science. So uh, here we go with the story synopsis. After Captain Kirk fails to convince the Halkin Council to allow the Federation to mine dilithium crystals on their planet, the landing party returns to the Enterprise. Interference from an ion storm, however, causes the landing party to be transported into a parallel universe in a mirror image of the Enterprise. Now aboard the Imperial Starship Enterprise, the landing party discovers that, a crew, that crew members who are mirror images of themselves and belong to an evil federation known as the Empire. Uh, no doubt it will strike back one day. The first experience is the torture of the transporter operator, Mr. Kyle, with an agonizer for his alleged failure to beam the landing party up quickly enough. Immediately, Kirk realizes there is they, that a mirror image landing party must have also beamed aboard the real USS Enterprise, or perhaps I should say the one in our universe. Kirk, Uhura, McCoy, and Scotty impersonate their mirror image counterparts while finding a way to return to their universe. Kirk learns that he has been ordered to annihilate the Halkins, but piques uh, Commander Sc Spock's curiosity by ordering the Enterprise to hold fire for 12 hours. While Scotty is adjusting the transporter to return them back to their universe, Cork 
Kirk meets Marlena, the captain's woman. Meanwhile, the uh, alternative Spock has received a directive to kill Kirk if he does not carry out the order on the Halkins. Marlena then shows Kirk the Tantalus field, which he had recovered from a lost civilization and uses it to eliminate his enemies. <clears throat> when Kirk and the uh, party are ready to return, the alternative Spock, Spock knocks out, uh, or rather does a mind melt with Dr. McCoy, and he uh, ascertains what has happened. Discovering this switch, the alternative Spock then assists Kirk in returning his landing party to their universe so the Empire landing party may return to its universe. When Kirk and the party return to their universe, they find the Empire counterparts were immediately recognized and put into detention. So all is saved. So there's a lot of science going on here, pseudoscience, maybe science, or something else. Ben, where do you want to start? There's a lot to unpack here, Tom. I think, you know, let's start with the, I think, the teleportation aspects of the transporter. So here's where we are with science fact at the moment. So as far as uh, transportation, that's something that we, we can't do the way they do in Star Trek with the transporter. Uh, but what we have done, you know, surprisingly and very interestingly, is we've done quantum teleportation. And what we're actually doing uh, is transportation of information and not matter. And I think that's the big distinction. So uh, we can transform um, information from quantum particles and teleport that from one location to another. And, and what we're actually um, teleporting is typically a binary bit, like the, what's called the particle spin, whether it's spin up or spin down, um, or if it's horizontally polarized or vertically polarized, like in the case of the photon. Um, so, you know, at the moment, we are not quite at the point where we can teleport people from one location to another. Um, and right now, it really appears that what you would have to do in order to do that in the future would be um, something that's not really teleportative the way we know it, but more recreative. So what we can do is we can recreate particles in another location and use the transferred information to essentially rebuild exact copies of the initial particles. Uh, but what you need to be able to do in that sense is have some kind of mass at the other end that you're encoding that information into so that it could then transform into uh, an object or uh, a person, let's say, in the case of uh, the transporter. When, uh, when you were going through that, Ben, my mind actually went back to the uh, 19th century when we first began to use uh, commercially telegraphs. And as I recall, a telegraph was a transmutation of a word or, muted, or, or letter into a symbol and then uh, made into an electronic signal and transported. Is the kind of uh, quantum transportation you're talking about advancing along those lines or is that something different? Yeah, you know, that's an interesting analogy to use. So the telegraph, you know, is indeed um, transforming some sort of information into uh, an electrical signal. And what we're doing is essentially measuring the properties of a subatomic particle and then uh, revealing those properties at the other end. 
And like I said, uh, you know, we can then transfer the information in a teleportative way, but what we can't do right now is um, actually have a physical particle pop out of nothingness. Um, and that seems to violate what we know about uh, the conservation of mass and energy in the universe. You can't just have uh, matter spontaneously appear at any large scale, um, you know, at a distance from the initial source. Interestingly, um, we've gotten to about 1,400 kilometers right now for uh, space-based experiments of quantum teleportation. So a lot of this field um, is still pretty nascent. Charles Bennett was a fellow who um, worked with IBM, and in 1993, he coined the term quantum teleportation. Um, and, you know, a lot of quantum cryptography and quantum computing uh, relies on some of the principles within quantum teleportation. So it's not something uh, that exists in science fiction anymore. This is actually current reality and what are called qubits, and those are spelled Q-U-B-I-T-S. Those are the basic units of quantum information uh, that are, that are uh, essentially information transfer through the teleportation process. There's a um, professor who was at least formerly associated with the University of Vienna, Anton Zeilinger, and uh, he and some of his colleagues were some of the first to do um, experiments on teleportation and understand the ramifications of it. Now, like I said, you know, what seems to be the case now is this can be uh, observed with subatomic particles. Um, there's some reason to think that up to uh, molecular-sized objects can be teleported. Um, one of the, those such objects is what's called a fullerene, and it's a 60-carbon molecule that looks kind of like a cage. It's basically in the structure of a soccer ball where it has a bunch of uh, um, pentagons that are connected around uh, a, a uniform sphere. And so you've got basically 60 carbon atoms in a soccer ball configuration, which is relatively massive uh, for something that's in some sort of superposition or maybe teleportable. Um, you know, interestingly, though, it seems like uh, and this is still one of the cardinal mysteries that exists uh, in uh, quantum mechanics. At some point, as things get larger and larger scales from the subatomic realm, it seems that these quantum effects somehow blur away and disappear and bring up about the classical realities that we're familiar with, where we don't have cars and humans teleporting and people existing in two places at one time and things like that. Ben, um, I'm a... I grew up during the Apollo missions, and I was certainly aware of and, uh, and really enjoyed the space race and all of the events around not only the original landing on the moon, but this 50th anniversary that we just had. One of the things I recall about the Apollo program that, that struck me then and always stuck with me was the communications that was utilized, at least on the, the public communication, that we would hear over the television and how powerful the communications tools were with radio signals when Apollo came about as opposed to Gemini, which was just uh, uh, rockets in orbit around the Earth. In listening to uh, the various podcasts and other reflections of the 50-year history of the moon landing, I learned that uh, not all of the communications uh, were as smooth as I had originally had thought. So I was wondering, do any of these concepts around quantum transportation of information or data, do they relate at all to the radio signals uh, that were used in the original Apollo missions? 
No, they're somewhat different. So I think here's the distinction. So if we talk about um, the types of uh, radio antenna that are used, you know, they're essentially what everybody would be familiar with, but they're essentially much more focused or, you know, much more powerful at their source. And what they're doing is transmitting an electromagnetic field. So it's the radio portion of the electromagnetic spectrum. Uh, so you have relatively long wavelengths and they travel at the speed of light. And so, for example, the moon is about one to, that's about one and a quarter light seconds from the earth. So it takes a signal about one and a quarter seconds to get from the surface of the earth to the moon or from the moon back to the earth. And that's covering a distance of about 230,000 miles. Uh, in contrast, something like Pluto, which is no longer a uh, planet, it's a dwarf planet now for the last, uh, I don't know, 14 or so years, it takes light about seven hours to get from the Earth to uh, Pluto. And so, you know, those distances are covered at the speed of light. Now, the interesting aspect of quantum teleportation is there seems to be information... Um, there's a, there's a communication between particles that are in what's called a superposition that is getting transferred uh, what appears to be faster than light. And this was something that Einstein was never comfortable with. Um, he called this spooky action at a distance, meaning uh, you've got two particles that could be separated by an arbitrarily large distance. And when something happens to the first particle, if they were created in a specific sort of way that they were called entangled, if you separate the two particles by any arbitrary distance, even across a galaxy 100,000 light years away, whatever you're doing to one particle, its originally entangled partner particle also uh, modifies similarly. And it seems to happen simult essentially simultaneously. So regardless of the distance between, there's no light transit time. Uh, and that's still something that uh, there's not really a great explanation for. There are some models and there's mathematics that explain that that seems to be happening, but the underlying mystery there is still to be uncovered. Ben, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time, but this has been a fascinating uh, discussion of some of the science around uh, the episode Mirror, Mirror. I look forward to continuing the conversation. Thank you, Tom. My pleasure. If you enjoyed this episode of Trekking Through Compliance, you can help it grow by sharing it with the biggest Trek fan you know. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>